Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing What Dreams May Come. What Dreams May Come was written by Richard Matheson and published in 1978. And the film adaptation directed by Vincent Ward came out in 1998. And this is a patron-requested episode. Our patron, Maria, asked us to do this episode. So um, thank you for suggesting this, Maria. We're really excited to do this episode that we probably wouldn't have thought to do on our own. But it's actually a really interesting adaptation and it was also a pretty popular movie when it came out. Yeah, uh, our first time getting to talk about Robin Williams, yeah. which is really great. And uh, yeah, just a very unique book, a very unique adaptation, just in terms of like a film that exists. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably talk a little bit more about that later. But yeah, uh, I just I love getting these patron requests and them being books or movies we may not usually think about. Yeah. And another thing to mention is that the book is written by Richard Matheson, and that that name might not be super familiar to you, but he's actually a really well-known horror and kind of sci-fi writer from like the 60s and 70s. And we actually did another episode about a book that was adapted into a film, and it's I Am Legend. Yes, Richard Matheson wrote I Am Legend, the novella mm-hmm. um it's a little bit shorter than like a typical novel but yeah he also wrote a lot of short stories mm-hmm. as well he was very well known for that so yeah he also wrote a ton of episodes for the twilight zone oh that's right yeah 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 like he's just super influential and like stephen king has cited him as an influence I, and i was Rice gonna say well, like, and uh george romero yeah, yeah yeah he just uh really reminds me of or King, I should say, reminds me of him yeah. in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which is cool. But this is totally different from Richard Matheson's usual stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are elements, I think, of horror and like thrilling aspects to this story, but it is kind of a story more concerned with the meaning of life and what the afterlife is like. And we do have to talk about the fact that Richard Matheson, I guess, believes all of this. It it is very unclear. Um, He starts off the book with like an author's note and just kind of says that like, I mean, he's very strong about his wording. He's like, the only thing that's fictional about this story is like the characters. Yeah. Which, I mean, that leaves kind of a lot to be interpreted. But, you know, this book goes so far above and beyond just like a near death experience. Yeah. To like the entire workings of the afterlife to the point that I'm like, and he seems to stand behind the idea that like, this is real. This is all real. Yeah. Which really frames how you approach the book, I think. Yeah, I agree. And it's right at the beginning before you start. Cause, and then you're like, oh shit, like what am I reading? Yeah, what is this? And then at the end, there's like four plus pages of like a bibliography where it's like a bunch of resources that I'm guessing, you know, the author consulted and studied up on before writing this book. And if this was really like part of his religion, which definitely draws on aspects of like paganism, um, Buddhism, Hinduism, Buddhism, kind of like this. I mean, Christianity, new age, new age, um, a lot of different sources here. Um, so yeah, 
all of this stuff I'm guessing he read about either personally or for this book and now is like, here, if you want to like read the truth, like it, here it is. <laughs> if you want to reveal the truth, man. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of a little bit like Fargo. Yeah. In terms of how, you know, anyone who's familiar with that movie, it begins with an opening title card saying like the following story is a true story. The only things that have been changed are like the names uh, which of course is a complete lie. Like yeah. the Coen brothers just made up that whole story, but like they did that to kind of like change the audience's perception of the story. Like what if we actually make people think this is real? How do they think of the story and approach it? Yeah. But and, I think Richard Matheson actually. Oh no. Believes yeah, it. totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean I think it's right, but it does kind of like you constantly kind of keep returning to that as you experience the story being like, where is he getting this from? Like, does this make sense? Like, am I open to this possibility? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very interesting way to begin the book. Yeah. Speaking of uh, beginning of the book, let's begin with the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, the book begins with the main character's death. Like, he is dead. Um, (laughs) But the movie kind of gives us a lot of the backstory that is filled in later in the book, but kind of, like, sets up with most of that backstory. Yeah, we see the main character, Chris, uh, played by uh, Robin Williams, meeting his future wife, Anne, and they have this, have a meet cute, as they would say in the yeah. rom-com, where their boats run into each other. Mm-hmm. It's very romantic. Yes. And you know Robin Williams is young because he has a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> a very uh, smart, uh, stylistic choice to convey his youth. <laughs> his age. Uh, yeah. The only thing is that um, it's very awkward that scene when they're on the hill and yeah. like talking because like Robin Williams is just kind of like really awkward and kind of quiet and like looking How did at, you find me? Yeah, I don't know. For as charismatic <laughs> as Robin Williams is, it comes across as like very wooden and kind of awkward and... Yeah, they're really... I mean, it's clear they're trying to go for this whole soulmate thing in this scene. Yeah. Like them kind of being drawn together, having this like meet cute epic meeting and then them just being like... um just drawn together for, I guess, for the rest of their lives. And then we see like them getting married. There's like a montage of like them (laughs) uh, spraying each other and their kids in like the driveway. Oh yeah. This is uh, one of the most rapid montages I've ever (laughs) seen because we go from them meeting to them getting married to, I guess they had some kids at some point. Yeah. Cause they're like, Fully grown. Yeah. To uh, their kids dying. Oh, my God. Like, all in the opening credits, basically. Yeah. I mean, we do get, like, a little bit of a longer scene as they're, like, eating breakfast together. I guess that's true. It's not really part of the montage, but then it montages their death. It's, like, all within (laughs) 10 minutes, though. Yeah. It is very, it's very rapid. We're like, oh, they have kids. Oh, their kids have the same haircut. And then, oh, their kids are dead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just as you're processing that heavy haircut yes, content. Exactly. Uh, you find out they're dead. And then the movie's like four years later. I'm like, how many years has it been? <laughs> yeah, we don't know where you started. <laughs> no. Yeah. So it's just kind of like very, very rapid uh, at the beginning. Yeah. And we find out in the movie that Anne works in a gallery and she also paints. And Chris is a doctor. Mm-hmm. He's like a sad Patch Adams now. Like he still works with children, but he's like not nearly as he's like mildly quirky and fun. Yeah. But he's much more depressed. <laughs> In the book, Chris is a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. 
and Anne doesn't work, and they actually have four kids, and none of them are dead in the book. It took me so long <laughs> reading this book to understand the number of children they had. Yeah. And also uh, what, like, ages they were. I know. It was so... Especially at the beginning, because we start out with Chris just dying. So we don't get this kind of introduction to like, oh, here I am with my wife and my four kids and our dog and like all, you know, our life. Yeah, because like I kept thinking like, oh, I thought Ian was the older one. And then I was like, no, he's not. He's actually the younger son or the youngest child. And then I'm like, oh, one of them has kids already. Like, how old are they? Like, I didn't even. Yeah. A lot. (laughs) I I don't know. I wish it could have just. um presented some of that info just straight up at the beginning. I agree. Interestingly, too, so, like, Richard Matheson himself, like, has four kids, Mm. and was also, like, a screenwriter. Yeah. And so I'm like, is this you? I really want to know proportionately. It's like how Hollywood keeps making movies about Hollywood and people who make movies. Yeah. Like, how disproportionate is the number of characters in books that are writers yeah, like their careers that's true because i know stephen king has a bunch of books where like the main character is an author yeah and it makes sense like i get it but it still kind of is funny yeah it is that's so true <laughs> uh so yeah any other uh book background differences oh so the book actually the way that it's written is really interesting oh that's right so when the book starts it's like told from his brother's perspective, Chris's brother. So Chris has died and Chris's brother gets this manuscript delivered to him by this psychic. And she's like, listen, your brother, he won't stop screaming in my ear at night and telling me to dictate this novel. And so I've written it. And now to get rid of him, I am giving you this book. This is felt very uh, ghost to me. Yeah. yeah you know yeah. how, um, what's his name? Uh, Patrick Swayze yes. is like irritating the shit Whoopi out of Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> until she like does his bidding. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot to say about this, but I'm going to save it for the end. Okay. Once we understand a little bit more about like this after, life situation and the world yeah because i think i love it as a introduction yeah to the story i think it's like very compelling and interesting and as a framing device i think it works because it's chris telling the story of like what happened to him after he died essentially to his brother and wanting to kind of impart this knowledge to him whether it's to let him know that he's okay or whether he has some other goal in mind I kind of liked it a lot at the beginning and we get a lot of the narrative kind of coming in strong at the beginning. Yeah. Because there are parts where like the psychic doesn't quite understand what he's saying and he has to like spell it out and it's clearly like dictated. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I forgot but that, that kind of dropped That really off. fades away. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I can't help but wonder like later on as it gets into like the real nitty gritty of like the afterlife, how annoyed this psychic was. And he's I like, know. Let me tell you about your aura. And the psychic's like, oh my God, please. Like it's how? It's 4 a.m. I just want to go to bed. <laughs> Not till you finish the book. I don't need to know what a lime green aura means, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, but really interesting framing device for this book at the beginning. Uh, speaking of Patrick Swayze and ghost, let's talk about ghosting, but not in the current uh, meaning of that word. No, like straight up being a ghost and ghosting your family and just ghosting around. Yeah. So the book begins kind of with... Uh, um, Chris on his, not his deathbed, he's in a hospital. He was in a car accident. Yeah. Um, 
sim- both kind of same in book and movie. In the movie, I like that, you know, because he's a doctor, he sees a car accident and he goes to help. Yeah. Uh, and ends up in, an, in another collision. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, he just tries to uh, pass another car on the road <laughs> and, like, gets hit by, like, four cars, <laughs> one after the other. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in his hospital bed, it kind of goes into this, a lot of detail about, like, this weird, um, the sensations he's going through as yeah. he's, like, dying and his mm-hmm. spirit's kind of trying to leave his body. But and- he doesn't want to die, so he's trying to stay. Yeah. He can hear a voice telling him to let go, um, but he doesn't want to. And it, it is sort of upsetting to read about him, like, slowly going numb. Yeah. And then, like, he felt like he was being like tickled or something. And then he heard the sound of like something like Like ripping tape being like, yeah. Uh, It's very visceral in a way. in like all of its descriptions, I like how much it described like sounds and sensations. Yeah. Cause like it easily could have gone in the direction of like very abstract feelings. You know what I mean? And kind of like existentialism. Yeah. But instead it was like, no, it sounded like tape being like pulled off of paper. Or like threads being like ripped. Yeah, like snapped. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I liked all those kinds of descriptions. But um, basically he like leaves his body and then is like, oh shit, wait, what? No, I'm not dead. This is a dream. (laughs) And he's like, this is a dream. This is a dream. (laughs) This is a dream. This is a really interesting dream. (laughs) (laughs) I really did like, though, for how long he thought it was a dream. Like, it really kind of pushed that. Because you're like, yeah, you probably would be feeling that way for a long time. Yeah, because it must be really tough to accept that you're you're dead. And he even, like, goes to the funeral and he still doesn't want to accept that. No. Um, Eventually, though... He, cause like when he dies, he said he saw his life in reverse, but like fast. Yeah. But then later on when he's like just being a ghost and fucking around, like he <laughs> sees his life like very slowly kind of like gets to relive it. Yeah. He in both book and movie is kind of like haunting his family to a degree, you know, in the film, it's just his wife, which is like really sad. Yeah. Uh, but in the film, like he or in the book, he is uh, children. And, you know, at one point he tries uh, talking to his daughter while she writes like a letter to a friend. Kind and, of the way it happens in the movie. too. Yeah. Man. With the wife mm-hmm. where he's kind of like trying to like have them write things that he's saying. And it like kind of works. But then both people book and movie like ignore it. Like they obviously think they're just like still processing Mm -hmm. and that it's not actually him, even though it is. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is that, um, one of Chris's kids in the book gets a psychic, Mm -hmm. um, which they don't explain why he got the psychic in the first place. Maybe he felt his father's presence around, but the psychic can actually see Chris as a ghost Yeah, and is talking to Anne and the son and some of the other kids and is like, Chris is here. He's wearing this, this, and this. He's trying to express this thing. Like he can hear what he's saying. Um, but Anne doesn't believe it and she doesn't really believe in an afterlife. No. And, but I think like deep down she wants to believe because in the book they eventually hold like kind of a seance and it's a really interesting and kind of unsettling part because Chris kind of like Chris kind of keeps being he's not like living a continuous life moment to moment he keeps kind of being like pulled back into like fading in and out kind of and so he like fades into this moment of this like kind of uh 
it, it's not really a seance, but I'll, you know, use yeah. that word where he walks in on it and he sees like himself in the room, but like a corpse version of himself. And it's yeah. like speaking. And he kind of figures out or gets the sensation that like the psychic is like powering this. Uh, it's like a dummy. Like yeah, a puppet. Yeah. yeah. And that like it's all kind of like unknowingly the psychic is like kind of creating this version of him that he's like listening to. Yeah. But it's not really him. And he's unable to actually communicate with anyone there. Somehow the psychic can't see Chris anymore at this point. And I really liked this part. It was very creepy and kind of interesting. And I liked it for what it was. Later on, we get a much more detailed explanation as to what happened. That wasn't necessary. No, I'm like, I don't need this like very like scientific explanation for like what was going on. Like it was, it worked as it was. Yeah. But this really freaks Anne out because she can tell that this isn't real and it's a fraud and it just makes her more upset and more hopeless Mm -hmm. about Chris being gone and the afterlife in general. Yeah. And after this moment and in the, um, in the, film he kind of like has a moment with Anne by the grave where he like tells her like I'm not gonna leave you and she like shrieks yeah which I kind of loved that and he kind of realizes like oh I'm just hurting her yeah Yeah. I'm not helping anyone and I think that these are similar moments Mm because he's like I'm just causing pain by like lingering yeah and I need to like move to whatever beyond there is if there is one um because at this point he has accepted that he's gone and I think this is interesting because it's like, sounds romantic to be like, I won't leave you. I'll just haunt you. But then you're like, oh, that's like really kind of messed up. Yeah. This isn't ghosts. There's no sexy pottery time. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I wait. I think I have seen. Did we watch? Yeah, we watched ghosts. Okay. I was like, I've seen it, but I don't know why. Sexy pottery time is not when he's a ghost though. Yeah. I was always always, like misunderstanding because I was like, oh, when he's a ghost, they do sexy sexy pottery time. Yeah. It's so misleading. You'd think they would do that. It's when he's alive. (laughs) They like missed such a great opportunity for like, oh, he's a ghost, but it's sexy and he's Well, you know, ghosts need time to develop their like hobbies and do crafts as well. I know. Yeah. How else are they going to do that? But like through pottery, through pottery. Yeah. Through their wife. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, we'll probably mention ghost only five other times in this episode. (laughs) Uh, But so Chris um, in both versions around this time has kind of like accepted uh, that he's dead, that he should move on, that he's not helping anyone. And Mm -hmm. he ascends to what is totally definitely not heaven. Nope, it's not heaven. But one of the spheres. And um, this guy who's been hanging around, and we have heard his voice, he's very blurry in the movie. And in the book, he has been trying to guide Chris as well and just be like, imagine life beyond this and like you need to move on, etc. So he finally takes this guy's advice and ends up waking up in what is known as Summerland. So... There's a sharp difference, I should say, between the book and movie depictions of these two uh, areas. Yeah. Uh, which we mentioned first. Let's talk about the movie. Yeah. The movie, he wakes up and he's in paint. Yes. <laughs> I think this scene is so cool. Yeah. I love it so much um, because when we first see him, I don't really know what's happening. Like, yeah. I, I was like, what is this? It looks like really vibrant and like strange. And blurry. And then he like squishes a flower and it's like blobby and I'm like wait why is it like blobby like it took me a while to figure this out I've never seen this movie before and then I was like oh my god it's 
paint, like he's in a painting. And oh my God, the way that they made this. Yeah. Is so amazing. It's really effective. This, I mean, this movie came out in 98. It, yeah. It won the Academy Award for Best uh, Special Effects. Yeah. Which I think was well-earned. Definitely. Um. Yeah, it's just such a cool concept. It's certainly not sustainable. I'm no. glad that they got away from the paint after a little while. I mean, they take they take their time in the paint, do. and then they're like, okay, now let's go into like the real version yeah. of this. Yeah, but I like that uh, um, Albert is like, you know, you're shaping this world with your mind, so it's something familiar right now. So it's like this painting that you yeah, like. Yeah, and they make the connection. You know, this is a painting that Anne made that was like her version of like, where they wanted to spend the rest of their life together, their mm-hmm. like retirement, which in a way is kind of their idea of the afterlife. Like this yeah. is their idealized future. And so that's where he pictures himself. And I just love this part when he's like cavorting in this paint. And then like he gets paint on his face, there's paint on his clothes. And like later on, when they're even like in the real, like not real world, but they're in like the non paint heaven, um, his. Like clothes are still painted. Yes, I love um, his trench coat outfit, like the outfit he died in. Yeah, but like it's just his outfit for like the rest of the movie. Yeah, covered it, in paint. Now. Yeah, in the book he like starts off with the outfit he died in, but then like transitions into like robes. <laughs> uh, but I just like this trench coat look. I feel like it's very iconic. Yeah, I agree, and it is just just gorgeous. Like I loved getting yeah. to see this world and see this paint effect. So cool. Yeah. Um, I am not the biggest fan of Cuba Gooding Jr. though in this yeah. scene. He's just like kind of cranked up to 11 <laughs> in his like jokiness and like his yeah. energy. I don't know if he was like, I'm co-starring with Robin Williams. Yeah. I gotta like ratchet it up to his level. Well, and Robin Williams is subdued in this. Role. He is, yeah. No. Even in his most joyful moments, it's not like typical like joyful Robin Williams yeah. that you would picture. Like it's still kind of a little toned down. Yeah, and there's a scene too where uh, Chris um, starts off on top of this cliff, and this was an impressive sequence too. Yeah, he jumps off the cliff, and clearly they like filmed some skydiver or free faller like in a trench coat like just free falling by a waterfall it was really impressive and then he kind of like goes into this almost like cartoonish like run this like sprint across the field and it's so kind of like almost too absurd but like kind of works Mm -hmm. and i like it but then it goes it keeps cutting back to cuba gooding jr who's like go chris go you can do it yeah all right he's just like too much yeah he's too much he's too excited (laughs) like let's just go back to robin williams please yeah uh but he uh, cuba gooding jr shifts he becomes much more toned down in the rest of the film and like much more it's more just this beginning that yeah i didn't gel with it. they're all like very excited about being in heaven they're all excited about being dead (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh but whereas the you know the movie does get into like some of the specifics of what's going on like yeah. kind of the different levels about like um you know you're shaping this world with your mind that kind of thing but the book gets much 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 more into the nitty gritty detail oriented stuff. In fact, I would say that this is like half of the book. Yes. Is in Summerland where Chris is getting explained to. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's mansplaining to him, even the women. <laughs> yeah, and this is clear that this is Richard Matheson being like, this is what I believe, this is yes. what I've read about, this is like the religion or theology or whatever that I subscribe to, so I need to like get it out there and like explain Every single thing. And like, there are interesting parts of it. And honestly, at the beginning, I thought it was super interesting. Yeah. And I was very invested and I'm like, this is so different. Like, it's not what you usually read about in terms of like an afterlife story or a version of the afterlife. But I don't know, after a while... It wears you down. I think it's just too much compacted into like... And there's not any plot happening. No, no. And like they're going back and describing like every single detail that Chris experienced in his death. They're like, hey, remember that sound of like stitches popping that you heard? Well, that was your nervous system disconnecting from your astral form. Snapping. (laughs) And it's like, ew. Uh, I don't I don't need to know. And they're like, oh, and that cord, that like silver, silver cord you saw, that was um, your uh, psychic umbilical cord. And then remember that sack that you kind of saw like wrapping around you? See, that was like your etheric double. Yes, I think. I don't know. I it, it's weird because they're like, oh, well, you have like your spirit and then you have your like soul and then you have your like body prison and then you have like a like other body prison like there's two body prisons a human is like an onion (laughs) with layers (laughs) well and then they're like the etheric double is what was like that dummy puppet thing yeah and i'm like wait so i mean it is sort of like you die you shed your body and then you kind of wander around for a couple days trying to come to grips with the fact that you're dead you watch your life happen and like look at it and you're like wow i like pick my nose so many times or whatever, (laughs) whatever deep thoughts you have about it. And then you're like, okay, goodbye to this other flesh sack that I'm apparently in. (laughs) This other meat prison. (laughs) Yeah. That was the stuff that was like, not that interesting that I like didn't care about, but like there's a lot of more general stuff about the afterlife in this story that I thought was super fascinating. Yeah. Like, um, you know, Albert is very clear that, you know, when you die, you still carry all the shit with you that you had on Earth, basically. Yeah. And they're basically saying like, hey, we come to Summerland to try to better ourselves. Yeah. So like this isn't just us like chilling on clouds and like, <laughs> you know, sipping some drinks like we're we're here to like work. And some people literally work. They have jobs like the people who are really passionate about being scientists or being teachers or, you know, writing things, creating art, um, still do it in Summerland, in this heaven, and are constantly trying to, like, improve themselves, too, and work through the issues of their past life. Yeah, and, you know, you kind of, like, sort through, yeah, everything that kind of has, like, you know, gone through on Earth and trying to better yourself, and I really like that concept. But similarly, though, like... If you don't want to improve, like you can kind of become you can end up in a state of like arrested development where like some people who were like very religious and they're like, I'm in heaven now. I'm just going to go to church every day. Yeah. And it's like there's more to it. You can 
achieve more. You can discover more about yourself if you want to. Yeah, and it is interesting because they encounter people in this world and kind of in the surrounding realms, I guess, where they died with a very specific version of what they believe the afterlife would be. And so then when they die, that's what they get. Yeah. And it's very tied into this concept of like belief and mind determines like your reality. And this concept is really emphasized throughout the whole book, like over and over and over, like what you think and what you imagine in your mind determines your reality and determines your afterlife and determines everything about you. Yeah. And I don't know. There's so many layers to it. It's so fascinating. I just like that, like, the idea that the afterlife isn't perfect. It's still a place to grow and to, like, like, that's more appealing, I think, to, yeah. like, read about than the idea of, like, oh, yeah, like you said, sitting on clouds all day and just, like, straight chilling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, what would you do? Yeah. You know? And, in fact, a lot of the people, like Albert, have jobs in heaven, which is very interesting. I have a lot of questions about this. Yeah, some of the things when they said it, I'm like, that's interesting, but I don't like that explanation. Like, I don't know how, why you would say that. Like, the fact that, like, people, artists and authors and people in Summerland, just like heaven, are trying to, like, beam down their ideas into humans. Yes. And then humans are, like, trying to, like, recreate them. So basically saying, like, oh, that, like, beautiful piece of art was actually not that guy who did it. It was this woman up here who was like, execute my vision, execute my vision, execute my vision. And he got like half of it and like puppeteering someone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. Even like, you know, at one point he goes to a museum and they're like, oh, these are the true works of art. What you see on earth, those are the replicas. And yeah. Like, this is what they envisioned in their mind. And part of me, like being an illustrator, an artist myself, I'm like, I don't think people have like a crystal clear vision of what they're trying to do. Like no. you have ideas and you put them on paper or. And in, you see where they take you. Yeah. And then you're like, mm, that's not quite right. Like drawing and painting and art is just like it's a way of thinking and processing information and like yeah. what existed on the paper is what it is. There's no like better version in your brain. No. So there are things like that too that I when reading about it I'm like mm, I don't I don't know about this. Like it's, it's fun to read that. Yeah. But once again you keep going back to Richard Matheson's like beginning declaration that this is all this true. This is all real. This is all you know true. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Also, there's science. Yes. (laughs) You know, the thing that really did make me interested, though, and I was like, ooh, that would be great. I would love to do that in an afterlife was like he was like, yeah, in this like library, um, there's like every book that's ever been written. And also like the true history of the world. Oh, yeah. That sounds like so fascinating, because as we know, history is written from very biased perspectives and we don't really know what it was like in certain times. So to be able to like really read about like what happened in the world, I would love that. Yeah, that was, you know, and that's something that like is believable. Like, okay, that's an objective thing that like I can understand would exist in the afterlife and and is appealing. It also gets into really weird stuff. Like Albert is telling Chris how like, oh, you know what? Actually the way that people like die is all wrong. And what you should do is like when people are dying, you should like play 
like certain frequencies of tones and then you should like have the lights at like this certain level. Yeah. And then you should like massage like their specific organs that like ease the passing oh, of death. Yeah. When he was describing <laughs> that, I literally had no idea. Is that what he meant? Like yeah. massaging the organs? Yeah. That's so weird. Like someone's dying and they're like, oh, we better get like out the little get like the meat cle- flute. Get the uh, meat tenderizer. <laughs> Let's like, go to work on grandma. <laughs> And then, like, oh, you should cremate the body, like, within three days, because then you're, like, drawn to, like, look at your body. Yeah, the time period. Like, I'm, like, all for cremation, but, like, the time period they put on it. too specific. Yeah. And then they're, like, also, you shouldn't be sad when people die, because it makes it harder for them to move on. And I'm, like, what about them moving on? Like, what about the people that are (laughs) left behind? Like, how can you say that people shouldn't be sad? Like, even if people believe in the afterlife, you can't tell someone not to regret losing someone you love yeah i was mad about that i i totally understand there there were there are many other things i get mad about later on in this story but this is all you know how summerland works this like level yeah of this uh, realm this realm and we find out too that like you know people can ascend to like higher realms mm-hmm. of like fusing with what i guess is god because there is god even though it takes them a while to like mention it god is very abstract in this story in both the book and the movie the movie only mentions god once and the book mentions god as just this higher existence Mm -hmm. and that you confuse with god at some point yeah but also every religion gets what they wanted basically when they die Mm -hmm. um the the one thing i couldn't help but wonder okay is (laughs) that when chris dies right Albert is like, hey, I'm here for you. I'm a very enlightened, I'm like a second level whatever in this cult of the afterlife. Like, let me show you around and explain things to you. Like, and and, and Albert makes a point in the book of being like, everyone kind of has like a guide. Yeah. But does the level of guide you get like dictate like how you end up? You know what I mean? Like, are people who. Are people who don't go to Summerland or don't ascend to that higher level People that don't listen to their guide? Yeah. Or have a bad guide? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Like, Albert seems like a great guide. He seems, like, very enlightened and in tune with what's going on. What happens when you get, like, a not-so-great guide? Are those the people who, like, are on the outer edges, who, like, still don't think they're dead? Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. The whole guide thing, I thought, was, like, very... Not explained. Not explained. Things are overly explained, and then other things are just not explained. Yeah. In terms of, like, this being... Because we're kind of supposed to think that this is all, like, cosmically fair. Yeah. Like, there's kind of this karma in play Mm -hmm. that, like, equals everything out and makes things, like, just. Mm -hmm. But also there are things like that, like, what guide you get that seems like they would impact (laughs) your afterlife experience. Well, and they say, like, Albert specifically says to Chris that, like, no one is judged. But, like, it seems like you are judged, though. I would agree with that. There does seem to be a certain amount of judgment going on. And there's like a comment made that like, oh, racist won't be in Summerland. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't they? They would imagine themselves in heaven, right? Because people who are like terrible think that they're right. Yeah. People who have done terrible things have done so because they believe that they are absolutely justified, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, wouldn't their belief make their reality real? 
I completely agree. <laughs> Should we put a pause on this discussion? Because we're going to talk about hell later. That's true. That's <laughs> like, true. This is a good lead into that. <laughs> Ian, Ian, it's not hell. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The lower realms. <laughs> the lower realms. Definitely not hell. So in both versions, Chris is in Summerland. He's in heaven. He's in a painting, whatever. And, <laughs> you know, after he's like, oh, this is so cool. I'm enjoying myself. He's like, oh, I'm feeling really stressed, though, about Anne. Like, I wish that we were together. Like, I don't love that she's all alone and that I left her down in this earthly realm. And in the book, he keeps having these, like, dreams where she's dying or something bad is happening to her and he can't save her. Yeah, they're all, like, kind of experiences from their real life that were, like, maybe a little scary or, yeah. like, kind of uh, not quite a near-death experience. Just, like, a little dangerous. Yeah, but then they, like, unravel into those experiences. And, like, Chris is aware in the dream, like, oh, I remember how this works out. Like, I throw her a rope and she kind of, like, pulls herself back up. Yeah. But then they go horribly wrong. Yeah. So he's kind of, like, um, bogged down uh, with these ideas of Anne being, like, in danger, being... Like something. Yeah, needing him. And so like even though he is in the afterlife and what is essentially heaven, um, he is still like kind of grappling with this. Yeah. And it is very ominous. I, I like how one of the dreams is a bear attack. Yeah. That's very grisly. I know. It's very upsetting. Um, this like terror coming in, I think, is really well done by the author. And in the movie, Chris feels anxious about Anne in a different way. Like we see that in his painting world, which is like the real version, not the painting, like Anne is drawing a tree in earth, like on earth in like Mm -hmm. real life. And that becomes reality in his afterlife. And so kind of emphasizing this connection between them. But then we also see where she like stops feeling hopeful and is instead feeling very depressed and like the tree is withering. Yeah. And Albert in the film seems like kind of surprised by what's going on. This like connection that is maintained. Yeah. While Chris is in the afterlife. They're soulmates. They're soulmates. It turns out that they are soulmates, which Albert reassures us is a totally real thing. (laughs) I'm like, how real though? And like, why are they soulmates? It's because their auras are the same color, Ian. Because their vibrations are the same. Yeah. They There's, they got that like decibel. Yeah. Like. They're straight vibing <laughs> together. Vibrating. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. It's kind of like um once again, you know, it's funny because on one hand, Richard Matheson is creating this depiction of the afterlife that seems to be breaking away from a lot of conventions of how we think yeah. of the afterlife. But then we'll give into a soulmates. soulmates or like what's totally not hell, but is definitely hell. Like, yeah. all, you know what I mean? Or like it's not punishment, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Like if we're reimagining, like let's reimagine better. Exactly. Yeah. And like, hey, maybe there aren't soulmates. Maybe there are people who just like, you know, connect in a good way and they both have good dispositions where they work hard on their relationships and maybe they make themselves soulmates. Yeah. I like that better. The idea that like, that's something that you can like achieve in life. Mm -hmm. If you can't tell, we don't believe in soulmates. (laughs) (laughs) We're very happy together, but we don't believe in soulmates. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It's just like, I don't know. Um, I do understand why, It's happening this way, though, because this is supposed to be a story of like two people who their bond transcends death. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, from a narrative point of view, I still think it, like, works. Yeah. But once again, from that uh, realistic as- aspect that Richard Matheson plants in our brains from the start. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. <laughs> Should we talk about Leona? Oh, my God. I, we have to. <laughs> we have to talk about Leona. So, if anyone just read the book, you're like... What do you mean we have to talk about Leona? I mean, she's just this character. You mean that really nice lady that takes Chris to like a heavenly city where people just like go about their day and. Yeah. And she's really nice and patient with him and then is like just gone. Yeah. That Leona? That Leona. (laughs) Uh, Well, not quite that Leona because that's the book version, which is very just. Just a person. Yeah. Just another person to give exposition to Chris in the novel. Mm -hmm. Similar in the film, we're introduced to uh, this young Asian woman Mm -hmm. who is Leona. And she's like, I'm here to help you. Uh, I I, kind of don't quite remember if there's a purpose to this in the film. I don't know. They go to like this version of the afterlife that's different from Chris's that is has like this city in the background it's like a beach people are just floating people are very Victorian it's very (laughs) like bizarre honestly yeah um it feels like a dream um but then we keep getting Chris kind of flashing back to memories of his daughter who died Mm -hmm. and he's remembering conversations with her he's remembering playing chess with her and we eventually see that there's kind of this background in her bedroom that is very similar to this afterlife. Mm-hmm. And that's when it becomes clear to us that this is his daughter. Yes, they are on a boat together. And um, I will just say that I remembered, I, I saw this movie years ago, and I remembered another character in this film who ended up being Chris's uh, son. Yeah. I remembered that, and I was like, oh, that's probably not going to be great, like, that reveal, because there's, like, kind of, you know, some problems with that. But, like, it's probably just meant to be a surprise, and it's probably not that bad. Yeah. And then Leona showed up, and the moment I saw her, I went, oh, fuck, that's his daughter. This Asian woman is his daughter, his white daughter. Meanwhile, I'm just watching the film, like, okay, Leona's here, and la, 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 like, writing my notes down, like, whatever. And as things are unfolding, I was like, wait, Wait, I made Ian pause the movie. Yeah. I was like, wait, rewind. What is happening? Because Leona starts getting emotional and she says, there is a time that you saw an Asian woman on an airplane and you said Asian women are so beautiful and elegant and intelligent. And I thought, I just want to be that way. And so I made myself that way because I'm your daughter. (laughs) And then we get like a. scene transition where it's revealed that the woman with him into the boat is actually his daughter. Yeah, so his daughter went to heaven and was like, ugh, I just want to be Asian. (laughs) And I'm not saying that as like it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it as like, why would you do this? Yeah. And like, also it's like, oh, remember that time that my dad was really creepy towards an Asian, like, uh, flight attendant on a plane? Yeah. Because like, what, what man turns to his daughter and is like, uh, Asian women. Am I right? Like, that's so gross. It's so weird. And then she internalized that and was like, oh, I need to become that. Like, all of it is bad. And the fact that, like, okay, even if that situation happened on Earth and even if she died, 
believing that like in heaven they should have been like before yeah, she even got into heaven they should have like sat her down in her room and let her like listen you can't be an asian woman i'm sorry there are even in heaven there are certain things you shouldn't yeah, you do you know what there are they say there are no rules but there really are a lot of rules in heaven <laughs> there are a few rules <laughs> <laughs> and appropriating a culture that is not your own should be one of them yes and oh my like it's so weird like the other character uh, that the son becomes like there's at least more of a character reason why he chose to be that person that's another race yeah the daughter's just like you like asian women like you like them yeah so i wanted to be asian i know i'm like wait the electric complex here there is a this is a parfait of layers <laughs> of like bad problematic like fucked up like trauma that she has to work out and this movie should have like <laughs> absolutely not done yeah i don't love it <laughs> i i it's the opposite of love I, I wish it was something like she just took like a different form not asian just like an adult maybe to try to like trick her dad maybe maybe she was like unsure if he still loved her and was like trying to find out like what he really thought about yeah. her or something like if there's a purpose behind it like tricking him yeah but there wasn't a purpose yeah if it was just her disguising herself um like you said to kind of like talk to him without him yeah. knowing like it still wouldn't have been great that she's an asian woman but like it's would have been at least like all right like that's not I guess great. he had a reason okay but yeah, the fact that she's just like, that's the reason that she did it. And the fact that it's not just about her dad, that that's just like her quote unquote, like identity now. Yeah, not good. Yeah. So after this reveal, this very awkward and strange reveal. Which does not happen in the book. No, uh, Leona is just Leona. Yeah. He doesn't have, well, he doesn't have children that are dead in the book. No. But yeah, so then Chris uh, is reunited later with Albert. Mm-hmm. And he delivers some tragic news, which is that Anne has killed herself. And at this point in the book, we have already determined that Anne has like 24 years left on Earth because he looks it up. Like yeah. in the, the records department of heaven, <laughs> he's like, when will Anne die? And they're like, 24 years. How did they fuck that up? Like, how do they not? How are they not able to account for suicide? I don't know. It's so stupid. They act like it's so like crazy for someone to kill themselves which like it is but also like it happens yeah like that's a thing you need to like tabulate for yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) uh but yeah so this like news is just it well at first chris is like oh my god but he's like but she'll be here right yeah and then albert is like oh no (laughs) of course she won't she killed herself she's going straight to hell i I mean mean, the lower lower realms (laughs) Yeah, and again, this is a problem I have with this story because it's like, oh, there's no judgment. Like, no one is judged by their life, really. It's just kind of like a self-reflection. Um, but if you kill yourself, you go straight down. We Straight to hell. Like, straight to hell. You know? And they're like, well, it violates the rules because you didn't, like, sort through all the shit that you needed to sort through in your life. And I'm like, I know plenty of people who don't sort through their shit and die, like, of natural causes. Like, uh, yeah. what? Does that mean that you're not enlightened if you kill yourself? No, people suffer from mental illness all the time. And like, it's a tragedy, but like, 
it happens and it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. I hate the idea that people who commit suicide are like committing some like cosmic sin. Yeah, against something unforgivable. God. Yeah, it's like really, I think it's really tone deaf. I think it's like really unsympathetic to like people who have had who loved ones who have killed themselves to like go to a movie like this. And yeah. they're like, hey, guess what? If your loved one killed themselves... Uh, they're going to hell. And Richard Matheson in the book is like, yeah, this is true. Yeah. This is what happened. I mean, to be fair, in the book, they say that Anne has to be there for the rest of like what she would have normally lived. And then she can come to Summerland. Yeah. But she has to be tortured for a bit to like make up for the fact that she did this bad thing. But once again, like, OK, this isn't judgment, right? Like yeah. the person... Their soul is putting themselves there, right? Yeah, their yeah. own torment is what led Brought them upon themselves. to the lower realms. So why this arbitrary number of like, oh, it had to be for the number of years she would have been alive on Earth. Yeah. Like, she wouldn't have known how long she was alive on Earth. Like, who's dictating this yeah. length of time that she has to be there if it's not like a punishment? And in the movie, they're like, oh, no, she's just down there forever. Yeah. Like, they're a lot more... Um, judgmental in the movie and i think you know it's worth bringing up the fact that like robin williams committed suicide you know and like it's not a sin you know no like obviously it's horrible i mean for some people like i don't care but like yeah like yeah and i also think it's this like you're creating this really hard line yeah where like you know some people you know may like make a suicide attempt, but really it's like not a true, like they don't really want to go through yeah. with it. It's more of a call for help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people are like, you know, into hardcore drugs and end up overdosing. Like, is that suicide? Like, yeah. I know you maybe didn't mean to die, but like you certainly weren't like maybe being the most careful with your life. Like, yeah, there are blurred lines here, like all over the place. Mm-hmm. And like to act like, oh, it's just like you did or you didn't you're either responsible or you're not is like really negating like a lot of new, like, you know, Robin Williams was diagnosed with a really serious illness, which is like really sad. And like, you know, he was kind of pushed against a wall and, you know, the decisions he made are his own. And I I, I don't know to like create this sense of judgment surrounding that did not sit well with me. No, I completely agree. I didn't like this at all. And Chris in the story is like, I have to find her. Yeah. You know, I can't leave Anne in this torment, whether it's self-inflicted or not. I will say it does make for a really good narrative. Yeah. Like I have to go to hell to like Get find her back. to find my wife. Like yeah. narratively, it's great. Yeah. And even in the film. Kind of reminds me of a, what's that movie? Constantine too. Like that oh, yeah. suicide thing being the hard line. That's true. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, like, so many people have done so much worse things. Like, <laughs> why know. is killing yourself worse than killing other people? Exactly. Why? Yes. <laughs> I'm sure someone would tell us, but like, it's it, it's just like a very annoying, frustrating yeah. argument. Um, but, you know, narratively and in the film, it's like, I don't know. I think you take this as more of just a film. Once again, that Richard Matheson opening of being like, this is all true. Yeah. This is all real is like makes 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 it much more unpalatable for myself. I agree. So in both versions, Albert agrees to, you know, he he tries to talk Chris out of this. He's like, no one's ever gotten anyone. Yeah. Especially like uh, a person who's committed suicide. No one's gotten them from the lower realms and helped them like. But Chris is adamant. He's mm-hmm. like, I need to know 
I need to try to help her. Like I can't yeah. not try. And Albert eventually agrees uh, to go with him on this quest. Mm-hmm. In the film, they seek the aid of like a guide who can help track down Anne. A tracker. A tracker. <laughs> a very crusty man. Yeah, I just called him the crusty guy in my notes. I do love this set that they find him in, this library. Yeah. That has like canals. Like it's water. Like they kind of take these boat, these boats down these like library halls yeah i thought it was really cool i do want to say this movie has really great set design oh my god yes. like in so much like the house that chris and Anne live in mm-hmm. in like the real world is fucking amazing yeah like we're talking about that daughter's room that had like the clouds and this archway and was gorgeous and then this studio that Anne paints in with all these plants it looks like a greenhouse yeah yeah like their house is so nice and then you're talking about like the city that they visit with like the people kind of flying around yeah I'm sure there's a lot of green screen or blue screen but like it's pretty it's well done it's really well executed yeah Uh, and then when they get to hell like yeah this whole landscape of like I love the like just burning and like sinking ships yeah and that kind of being like the entry into the underworld mm-hmm. i love it very I love creative it. yeah yeah and, and this kind of goes back to like you know i think this the this movie's existence is so interesting because like yeah here's this high budget and production value film about like dying the afterlife and dying and like hell and like yeah um so much like production and set design and like special effects put into this film. And that's so much on part, I think, of like Robin Williams being involved. Yeah. Like that kind of is a testament to like his star power, I think, mm-hmm. where they're like, I mean, shit, if Robin Williams is in it, let's like really throw a lot of money at this. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I think big stars like that. And God, it's even hard to think of a star with his kind of star power today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. you put his name on a film and people are like, I don't care if it's a drama. I don't care if it's a wacky comedy. Like, yeah, I love that guy. I'm going to go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably the rock. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, I do think he can do it all. I mean, he maybe can't do the, um, the, the, the dense drama. Yeah. His muscles just get in the way. There's I just agree. too many muscles. Yeah, he has too many. Filling the frame. <laughs> but he can sing and dance. As yes. we know. For, well, he can sing yeah. for Moana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I just, uh, Robin Williams' career is like very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting the films he was involved in that a lot of which probably wouldn't have existed without him. Yeah, I agree. And so he and Albert, and in the movie, he and Albert and the Krusty Tracker um, descend into hell or the lower realms or whatever. Yeah. And it's interesting. The book is very much kind of, we see a lot of different people in their own self-imposed hell. You know, we see people who are basically just torturing themselves. We see this like gross pit that seems very like traditionally hell-like where people are just like, hurting themselves and hurting each other. And it's just like this torment fest of like gross flies and (sighs) like being drowned. And I don't know. The pit was horrifying. And I kind of loved it because like, I don't know, the book up until they go to hell has been so much of like, yeah, there was some disturbing stuff like when he was a ghost. Yeah. But then it's like, 
this is heaven and like this is how it works and this is all like picturesque and yeah. like you know beautiful and, and just picture whatever you want it'll appear yeah and this is our society and everything so I was honestly very despite I know that like you know Richard Matheson as a horror writer can turn it on mm-hmm. I was surprised he did for this book given like everything that came before it yeah because these depictions of hell are like very visceral and very impactful. Yeah, and at first when he's describing hell, like, it doesn't seem like traditional hell. You know, it's just people in this, like, cold and desolate wasteland, Mm -hmm. just kind of, like, not even realizing that they're maybe dead and just suffering and, like, kind of carrying those limitations that they maybe have when they are alive. But then we get to the pit, and I'm like, this is, like, actual, like, biblical hell. Yeah, one thing I loved was, like, how it's described as, cold and dark yeah because i think so many visual representations of hell are like fire yeah so they're bright and hot Mm -hmm. which like would not also that would also be bad (laughs) i'm not saying that's like great yeah a well-lit hell a (laughs) well-lit hell (laughs) but how is the lighting there (laughs) yeah (laughs) but something about hell being described as cold and dark i think connected with me more where i'm like Shit, if there is a hell, it is probably cold and dark. Yeah. Like it can, you know, you just like felt that. get lost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of just in this like emptiness and like just people bumping around each other and like these pools of liquid. I don't know. It was, and like the flies, there's just flies everywhere. It's so, so weird. And I just want to bring up, I know we've basically already talked about this, but like this idea that you're not judged, but yet all these people are in this like apparently self-imposed torment. Yeah. And again, I want to say some of the people that have done the worst things in the world absolutely believe that they are right and that they would get some kind of reward for it in heaven. So if what you think and what you believe about the afterlife becomes real, but you're also not judged by your actions, why would anyone be in a hell? Yeah. You know, like if someone who committed genocide but was like, I did it for God... They'd be like, all right, where's my heaven? Yeah. But the book kind of implies that these terrible people end up getting like their karmic end. Well, yeah, that all terrible people are kind of like self-conflicted about what they did, which is definitely not true. A lot of terrible people absolutely believe they're like 100% correct. Yeah. I just wish that they would like maybe the book could have just been like, hey, like karma, like basically what you did in your life you get that back in the afterlife. Well, and even that, though, there's, like, a lot of nuance to it. Like, how can you judge the actions of someone who grew up in poverty? Yeah. And maybe the Had to make, like, tough choices. Yeah, and the things that they did versus someone who, like, you know, maybe did nothing bad, but they grew up rich and definitely didn't, like, contribute what they should have. Like, it kind of, it's really funny, but it makes me think of um, The Good Place. Oh, yeah. Which is a great show that people should watch. But that really starts to kind of poke a hole in how funny the concept is of, like, Doing good deeds. Yeah, and trying to quantify that. Yeah. And trying to, like, assign, like, essentially a number value to, like, people's morality. Yeah. Uh, You know, that is a comedy, obviously, and, like, really highlights the silliness of that in so many ways. And Mm -hmm. I think when you think about it in this book, it's like, okay, well, there seems to be a lot of there doesn't seem to be a lot of nuance here yeah. with like why people ended up where they did. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, I'm just thinking that I've never seen like a version of the afterlife that totally like made sense to me. No. And 
even though this is a definitely an interesting and different take, like I still well, you know, feel that way. I think if this depiction of the afterlife was without these quote unquote lower realms, yeah, you know, like maybe people who did shitty things in life, like they do end up in Summerland, but like you it's know, it's like a not as great version. Of well, it. yeah, like um, uh, Arnold described like wait, Albert. <laughs> Where did you get Albert? I, I, I don't know why I could not think of Albert's name. I have to think <laughs> about it every time I say it. Albert. Um, you know, Albert talked about like when in the book Chris saw his house, it's like perfect and pristine and like gorgeous and like, you know, just perfect. And Albert's like, well, it wasn't like this when I first got here. Like there were weeds and there were things that needed done and like shit I needed to tend to from my life that I like needed yeah. to sort out. Like, like I, a visualization of all the therapy that I needed. <laughs> exactly. Heaven <laughs> should just be therapy. Yeah. But like, I liked that idea of like, okay, it's not perfect. Like there may still be things you have to sort out and figure out, but yeah. it's like. And maybe for some people there's more to sort out than for other people. Yeah. But like the goal is to help you. And I'm like, okay, how is the lower realm helping anyone? Yeah. I, I kind of wish like they, Summerland. They throw in the line that like every soul will eventually ascend to Summerland. Okay. And then like, uh, what are you doing to make that happen? That's such a bullshit. Yeah. That's like, everyone has the chance to be rich in America. <laughs> like they will, they will at some point. Yeah. It's, I, yeah. It's like very annoying. <laughs> um, let's talk about Albert though, because this is when we realized that Cuba Gooding Jr. Albert is not actually Albert. This is mm. Chris's son, Ian. And let me just tell you that <laughs> So I'm watching this movie. I've never seen it before, right? When the Leona reveal happened, I was shook. You know, I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is awful. Like, how could this happen? And then when they're like kind of leading up to the Albert reveal, I'm like, oh wait, I know what's going to happen. Like, I know um, his son is going to turn out to be the crusty tracker. <laughs> like, that's going to be his son because like they met him and he was talking about like, Oh, you know, we got to find your wife and all this stuff. And we're, we're going to be like, great. You know, this was, this was the time. Cause he said like, he never gives up, you know, like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, like here comes his son, the crusty old tracker man. And then it's Albert. And I was completely thrown for a loop, even though I should have seen it coming. <laughs> they got you twice with the racial they got, change. They got me twice because I was like, oh, I already know what this Cuba Gooding Jr. situation is. It's the magical Negro trope. Like, I got that down. Like, I already <laughs> know what racist thing they're doing with this movie. And then they, like, shocked me and turned that magical Negro trope into a cultural appropriation confusing mess. Into what is kind of blackface? Yeah. In a way? Yeah. Now... So his son adopted the look of Albert, um, who was a real person in Chris's life, um, which this whole thing is kind of weird because we're told about Albert, you know, when um, Chris gets to heaven. He's like, oh, my God, Albert, I, last time I saw you, you were 65 and on your deathbed, basically. Yeah. Like, we've never seen this person in real life. We're just told about them. Yeah. And we find out later, or in that time, that, like, he was a doctor who Chris looked up to. Who, was like who a mentor. Who worked with, who was a mentor. And that's, like, why um, he was there to guide him. But we find out later the son took on his look because his he was the only man his dad ever listened to. <laughs> it's like, maybe my dad will listen to me if I'm his, like, doctor mentor. 
Um, okay. Uh, I guess that's more of a reason than you were like creepy towards a woman on an airplane one time, <laughs> but you know, still not great. And this scene happens, but then shortly after this, the crusty guy yep. ends up being the real Albert. And I'm like, I don't understand why you would keep doing this to me. <laughs> and I'm like, is this worse? Because this is a black man who was like, oh, I'm in heaven now. I can finally be white. <laughs> Get all that, like those white benefits. And I'm like, what is happening? I know. Who made these choices in this film? Because they are terrible. Like, he- heaven should be not caring about, like, it should be total racial equality. Yeah. Like, you can finally not be uh, judged or face prejudice for what you look like and yeah. just get to love yourself for how you look. This is definitely a, the I don't see color version of the oh afterlife. God, yes. <laughs> it, what does it matter if I look like Cuba Gooding Jr.? Same. I can be Asian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see why you're making a big deal about it. Yeah, this is bad. In case you're wondering, this it, is bad. <laughs> it's, it's just so bizarre that like this is... Um, the direction they went. Like, they didn't make anyone, like, trans. No. no one was like, I always felt like, yeah. you know, oh, I should have be been a woman, and this is, like, who I really am, and who, mm-hmm. I, I, who I was on Earth, too, but, you know. Yeah. Um, no, they didn't do that. They were like, let's swap everyone's ethnicities. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just, just baffling. Like, I don't know if they were trying to be deep with it. I don't know if they just wanted to, like, surprise people like catch people off guard but the albert reveal is weird too because now we're meeting the real man (laughs) who who, we thought we had already met yes who we never met in like the real life like who is this guy (laughs) who is he who knows (laughs) what is albert really yes who who is he (laughs) god uh yeah that that is the last um twist (laughs) casting reveal of this film too many twist casting reveals too many too many uh chris eventually finds Anne though and she's living in this kind of sad version of their home where everything's kind of falling apart she has no electricity or water and like it's just really depressing yeah the book uh really describes it in great detail and the book depiction is boy, it sure is sad. Yeah. Like, you know what I loved though? Sorry to interrupt you. No, go, go. Um at one point in the book, Anne says, cause Chris asks her what it's like living yes, here. Yes, yes. Is this what you want to do? This is what I was about? gonna say. Oh my god. <laughs> we are soulmates. We are. Oh my god. We're we're totally vibing right now. Our vibrations. Vibrating. We're on the same our auras, same hue, same color. Uh she describes it like a bad dream, yeah. which is how it read the whole time. And like, I think how most people read into it or felt about it. Yeah. But she's like, you know, it's like this dream where like nothing's going right. Like you can't find anything. Everything's wrong, but you're not quite sure why it is that way. Yeah. And it's just continuously frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that would be hell. That would be. And I, everyone, I think everyone has had that dream. And sometimes I have it where I'm trying to, uh, call someone or do something yes. on my phone and like every time I try to open my phone like there's a bunch of apps up and like I can't get to like my my <laughs> like dialing buttons yeah and I'm yeah. just like I just need to make this call but I can't get there and then sometimes in the dream it's not like on a phone it's like me actually trying to get somewhere 
when I'm going through these doors and then it opens me somewhere else and there are other people like talking to me or trying to stop me. And I'm like, I need to go do this thing. Yeah. And you're constantly frustrated. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, I, I, I'm I, trying to get packed up for this trip and yeah. everyone's ready for me and I can't find like- I can't find my clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this idea of like what her hell is, is like really sad, but like you totally can- So depressing. Relate to on it. On a mundane scale. <laughs> yes, <laughs> truly. A suburban horror, you might say. Yeah, and Chris tries to reach her and she doesn't recognize him. He talks to her and pretends to be like the neighbor. And you know what's really sad though in the book, like the dog is with her? I- <laughs> Okay, Get this, Ian. All right? Mm-hmm. So you're Chris's kids, say. Okay? Uh-huh. You're Chris's kids. And your dad dies. Yep. And then maybe like a few weeks later, your mom kills herself. Yeah. And then your dog starves itself to death. Horrifying. I can't even... How could this happen? <laughs> it was so sad. It was too sad. When Chris said that, that like, oh my God, I would find out later that Ginger starves herself to death after. Yeah. So she could be with Annie. It's sad. Dog. Okay. Like. I, okay. So this is. This is. <laughs> what happened to the dog, though? We never find out. That was what I wrote down. Remember when I said earlier? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, there's a glaring plot hole. What happened to the dog? We never find out what happened to the dog. Oh. Because we know what happened to Chris and Anne. Yeah. What happened to Ginger? I bet she got reborn into a new dog. I hope so. <laughs> I fucking hope so. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, you never. Yeah. You're never told what happened to Ginger after all this stuff. Poor Ginger. I couldn't help but laugh, though, because like, you know, there's Ginger, the dog. And then there's Katie, who was another old dog that um, Chris finds at the beginning of the story that kind of like accompanies him around. Yeah. I was I couldn't help but laugh, though, and think about like, what are cats in Summerland like? Do they (laughs) equally not give a shit about you? Are they like still just like as ambivalent about your existence as they were in the real world yeah you know i don't think that cats their souls like really go to summerland (laughs) i think like they just continue to live on earth like they just (laughs) are like constantly being reborn Mm. like they are like we don't need to improve like we don't need to go to like summerland to like better ourselves like i'll just be reborn into another cat form and sleep all day we're fine with how we are we've perfected the art (laughs) of living as it is yeah we've gotten humans to do everything for us we lounge around all day like if i went to summerland i wouldn't have to eat and i love eating yeah (laughs) No, thank you. Yeah, we never get described what cats in Summerland are like. <laughs> um, yeah, the, um, you know, this interaction in the film is, like, rather short. I, I shouldn't say short. Like, it's, you know, what feels an appropriate amount of time where he's trying to reach out to Anne. Yeah. She's kind of rejecting him. And he ultimately decides to to stay. He just can't. He, he realizes he can't go back without her and he'd rather stay there in hell with her yeah and we know that like if he stays there he won't be able to go back yeah like he'll forget himself just like Anne, where she doesn't really know that she's dead or where she is she's just in this like nightmare i really appreciated in the book though i can't say it was like the most interesting aspect but i loved how much time was spent with chris trying to convince Anne. yeah that she was dead Because, like, you know, he's like, I can't just tell her who I am. She won't believe me. Mm -hmm. I have to, like, reverse psychology her into, like, understanding that she's dead and, like, where she is and what's going on. Yeah. Um, And I don't know. It really captures the frustration and the sense of hopelessness hopelessness surrounding it. Because, like, 
I don't know, six or seven times, it seems like he's maybe like breaking through a little bit. And then she kind of like shuts down Mm -hmm. and kind of rejects any progress he made. And it's like it's it takes its time with this aspect, which I really liked. Yeah, because it's it builds it up a lot in the story. You know, Albert's like, listen, no one's ever done this before. You're not going to be able to go there and just like snap her out of it. Yeah. And I think I was kind of expecting like what the movie does or like, you know, he runs into one obstacle Maybe another, maybe it's a little tough, but then he breaks through to her. Yeah. But like, it takes a while in the book. Yeah. And I love when he decides the line in the book, Mm -hmm. when he decides to stay with her, he said, let this hell be our heaven. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that line. And I have been joking about soulmates this whole time, (laughs) but I do think it's beautiful that he's like, I want to stay with you, you know? know? And like, this is hell, but like, we will be together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then it's interesting because in the book, after this, we kind of see Chris waking up in Summerland again, and he doesn't really know what has happened. Yeah. So, it, yeah, in the book, he kind of wakes up, like, in Heaven Hospital. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he's sapped of his strength, but they're, like, kind of healing him. And finally, he sees Albert, and he's able to ask, like, Oh my God, what happened? Like, where, where's Anne? What mm-hmm. happened to her? And he's like, well, she's not in hell anymore. And he's like, great, where is she? And Albert tells him, like, she got reincarnated back to Earth. Yeah. And basically, like, his sacrifice to be with her was enough to, like, jolt her out of her self-imposed, like, hell, but also not self-imposed. Um, <laughs> and she was able to choose to be reborn. And they kind of imply that she couldn't, come to Summerland because she wasn't like self-actualized enough or she still had to pay for killing herself or something. Yeah. So they're like, okay, you can be reborn on earth, but you're going to have like a crippling illness that will like affect you for the rest of your life. Just, I, yeah. Those are the breaks. (laughs) Those are, please uh, sign here, sign here and initial here. Yeah, I do. I just have to bring up the fact that the, kind of issues around disability here are not great. Yeah. Um, The way that it's talked about is basically like, oh, souls that have to atone for something get born into bodies that um, are differently abled. Or souls that, like, want to achieve, like, nirvana faster are like, oh, I know, I'll be born into someone crippled because that'll, like, make my soul better. Yeah. Which is just, like, a really stupid way to view people who have different abilities like i know it's not good it's bad in fact (laughs) (laughs) it's the opposite of good yeah this whole reincarnation thing the movie smartly at least like hints at the fact that there's reincarnation earlier on doesn't get into it no and then like in the film, this is not, like, the film just ends. Like, yeah. Anne and him are back in heaven. And they're like, let's be reincarnated. Yeah, and we get a cute little, like, moment of them being kids, I guess. Like, and meeting each meeting other. each other again. So, like, the, the movie just kind of is like, there is reincarnation. You knew about this. They're going to choose to be reincarnated. Yeah. The book doesn't tell you about reincarnation until, so like the until now. And they're like, let me tell you. All of the uh, bylaws and specific qualities about reincarnation. Let me just ask you, Ian. So Chris is like, all right, I'm going to be reincarnated because I have to join Anne because we're soulmates, blah, blah, blah. Um, But like, I'm going to wait to enter this baby until like seven weeks. And I'm like, 
are babies born without souls? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that babies are born and they're just soulless, like, flesh pods? You know, there's that vacant <laughs> stare of, like, a newborn baby. Like, that part doesn't make sense to me. No. I, like, appreciate the subtle implications that, like, if you get an abortion, you're not, like, killing a soul or something <laughs> like that. But, like, on the other hand, they're like, yeah, Babies are just flesh husks for, like, the first, like, six to seven weeks that they're born. And then some random dude just inserts himself into your baby's body. (laughs) He's like, I need to meet my wife. (laughs) Take me to my wife. Yeah, and they discuss, they talk about, like, how the soul bonds with the body and it takes, like, 21 years that, like, yeah. That's when you like are fully too much explanation for what, me. too much fucking Just explanation. Just saying that people again. are reincarnated. I I will accept that. I, I don't think even... that's beautiful, honestly. Yeah, no, the idea of reincarnation. I think it just feels so shoehorned in. Yeah. And you're like, wait, this is kind of like totally changing the idea of everything else you've established before. Yeah. Like, um, they're like, yeah, actually people only stay here in Summerland. For a certain amount of time before then they get reincarnated. But I'm like, you have people in Summerland like doing research in science. Like, yeah. Are they just like done at one point? Yeah. Are they like, isn't it like inefficient for them to like reset their brains and then have to learn all this shit again? Or like, God, I'm trying to remember, like there's some other aspect that was like very weird. There were many aspects. Oh, oh, you get to like pick who your parents are. Yeah. I'm like, is this a race thing? Yeah. How do we make sure that there's not, like, implicit bias happening? Yeah. Like, it was very vague about it. But mm-hmm. I couldn't see any other... Well, then Chris wants to be a doctor. And they basically write out their whole life. They're like, oh... And um, then when I turn this age, I'm going to go to India so I can find Anne. Yeah, Anne is in India and she's going to have an illness. So I'm going to uh, go and be born in Philadelphia. I'm going to become a doctor. At the age of 30, I'm going to get kind of like aloof and then I'm going to leave and I'll travel the country until I get to India where I'm going to take care of her. Well, and you're like, what were you doing in your past life where you're like, oh, I want to be a screenwriter. <laughs> <laughs> Not to diss on screenwriters, but I'm just saying. No, yeah, that's like the idea that like we've all chosen these very specific paths. Yeah. Like it's throwing this whole new angle to like the afterlife that I'm like, this is not gelling with everything else. And like it's too rapid and. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. lot to take in. It is. And then his brother, after finishing reading all this. Uh, travels to Philadelphia and like creeps on a baby for briefly. And he's like, is that my brother? Is that my brother? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go Unclear. Home. <laughs> and that's the end. Yeah, that's the end of both versions. Um, which one's better? Which one's better? I am going to say the book. I, I think I agree with you as well. As much as I have criticized the book and like the way it throws things out, I do appreciate its perspective. I think it's incredibly well written. Like the fact that so much of it is just like exposition, exposition, exposition about how like the afterlife works. Yeah. Like only near the end of that huge chunk did I genuinely start getting kind of bored. Like I was really intrigued by it for a large portion. And like, yeah, I think that's a testament to Richard Matheson's writing that like he keeps you interested in that for so long. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my criticisms about, like, its perspective on disability and, like, kind of the holes in this whole, like, afterlife 
ideology and I don't love its perspective on suicide, but I do think it's something that you don't see as often. And it's a very like thoughtful expression of like what the afterlife could be like. And I appreciate having that out there in the world, whether it's true or not. Like, I don't, I don't think I could ever know. Um, but it is something to think about. Yeah. There's a lot of just fascinating, yeah, concepts to it. And, you know, if Richard Matheson at the start had just been like, hey, I did a lot of research on this subject. Yeah, and like, this is what I believe. This is pulled from like a lot of different like inspirations and concepts. And I find them all very interesting. I would have been like, cool. Yeah. The fact instead that he's like, this is all real. <laughs> yeah. Kind of just makes me more naturally critical of the book. I agree. Because suddenly those things about like suicide and stuff, I'm like, okay, Like, I would say otherwise, this was just like a narrative plot device Mm -hmm. or choice. But now I'm like, well, I feel very critical about it from like a moral standpoint. Yeah, I agree. And I think the book is just super thoughtful and interesting. And I love the set design and what they do in the film like so much. And I think Robin Williams is excellent in this role. He is. But just like. I don't know. The stuff with the kids is like so bizarre and like uncomfortable and racially inappropriate. And I do think it's just kind of all over the place sometimes. It's very tonally kind of wild. Like there's really dark, depressing aspects. There are parts that are like oddly goofy. Yeah. Like that's weird. Like that's a weird uh, choice of tone for this moment. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like you said, the production design is phenomenal. If they just didn't do that whole like kid reveal, kid thing. reveal. Th- well, it's also super depressing to the fact that like people on Earth are like, hey, remember that family where like both children died in a car accident and then four years later, the husband died in a car accident. Yeah. And then like shortly after the wife killed herself. Yeah. 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 It's just a lot. <laughs> it's very heavy. It's very heavy. Um, But now that we both decided on the book, let me read uh, Maria's thoughts on this. So she said, "Um, I really like the movie when it came out. Robin Williams was wonderful in this movie. And I always like seeing actors who are normally associated with comedy show their dramatic acting chops. Um, I read the book a few months ago and I love how the book has strong imagery, as strong imagery as the movie does. Matheson really writes beautiful details. As I mentioned On my original suggestion, the book has very strong Dante's Inferno metaphors. Mm. Um, The spirit guide, they travel through the depths of hell of the underworld, and it's basically the same as Dante's vision, which I agree with. Yeah, yeah. Um, She says, looking back on the movie, I remember Cuba Gooding Jr. as the main character, son, spirit guide in heaven, who was in the movie, was deceased before Robin Williams. This feels a bit problematic to me. The book had the main character talk briefly about him wishing he took more of a consideration of race when he was alive. Um, so I think mm. this falls under the magical Negro trope, which I agree. Yeah. And yeah. she kind of describes that trope saying, um, in order to show the world that minority characters are not bad people, one will step forward to help a normal quote unquote person with their pure heart and folk folksy wisdom. <laughs> They're usually black and or poor, but may come from another oppressed minority. They step, often clad in a clean white suit, into the life of 
the much more privileged and in particular almost always white central character and in some way enrich that character's life. And I totally agree with you, Maria. Um, the magical Negro trope is happening here in this story. I just realized uh, uh, Morgan Freeman and Bruce Almighty. Yep. That's like <laughs> Morgan Freeman and Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, examples of this, but yeah, I agree. It is problematic and I think ultimately why we are choosing the book. Yeah, yeah. You know, great visuals in the film. Definitely worth watching um, if you like the book. Yeah. Uh, and the book is definitely worth reading if you like the film. I would definitely love to read more Richard Matheson, I think. Me too. I, I Like Stephen King, like, you know, Stephen King's great at writing horror. Mm-hmm. But like, I, sometimes it's just his descriptions of things yeah. that I find so captivating. Like, even if it's like mundane, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm like engrossed. And I feel the exact same way about Richard Matheson. It's just like, yeah. I don't know, his just description of even like boring and mundane things I'm like engrossed in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I, w- I would love to find somewhere Richard Matheson add up. If you have any suggestions, you know, another one we could do. Uh, is the Trilogy of Terror. Oh, yeah. They were three short stories Richard Matheson wrote that were adapted into three short films Yeah, that were all kind of like horror-based. Hmm. I think they were all Richard Matheson yeah. short stories. I could be wrong about that. Uh, but that's one we could do yeah. for Halloween or something. The Trilogy of Terror. The Trilogy of Terror. <laughs> all right, let's do lightning round. Yeah. So first up for lightning round, I want to start at Sirius and point out something that I really loved from the movie, which is we find out kind of through flashbacks that Anne tried to kill herself after their kids died mm. and went into a psych ward and was getting like help. And her and Chris sort of talked about divorce at this point. Yeah. And it's really interesting. And they eventually have this sort of confrontation where Chris talks to her about what it was like for him to lose their kids as well, because they're both kind of grieving in different ways. And he admits that he was trying to be strong for her and for him, but that being strong was actually a cowardly decision on his part. Yeah. And that he used it to kind of escape facing what had happened. Mm -hmm. And he was being strong as a way to not like really face it and to try to like avoid that. And that in doing so, he kind of abandoned Anne and her grief because she was feeling that so strongly. And I thought this was really important and impactful. And it was such a tender and um, just sweet and I think truthful moment in the film. I, I'm really glad you brought that up because that was a really great moment. And in fact, there's another moment. I forget if it's in the same scene or when he's reaching out to her, but he says like, you gave up, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Just kind of like um, forgiving her for committing suicide or like not like judging her, I guess. Yeah. And he said like he hid in life. Yeah. You know, like you said, like trying to be strong and just pushing forward, but Mm -hmm. like that also being like, not healthy. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a really good scene to to bring up in the film that I think helps balance out some of the less savory elements of like this judgment world. Yeah. Science hell. I, I wrote in my book. <laughs> Science, hell. <laughs> Science hell. So a part I wanted to mention was in the book uh, when he's kind of resigned himself to you know at first I think he's gonna leave Anne. Yeah. But before he decides you know, decides he's going to stay. He's just thanking her for like everything he did in her life in his life, which was like very sweet. Mm -hmm. And I liked, but there were parts of it that were odd (laughs) and like not great. (laughs) Yeah. Like, first of all, he just starts off by like thanking her for like 
cleaning the house and like cooking <laughs> and like, you know, driving the kids places. And he specifically says, um, thank you for keeping my clothes clean, our home clean, yourself clean for always being <laughs> for always being fresh and sweet smelling, always being well groomed, you know, fresh. <laughs> what? You know what I'm saying? Like, what? Like he gets into other things that are like more like emotional. Yeah. But to start off at that place, I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> what are you comparing this thanks to? Thanks for showering, like, at least every <laughs> other day. Like, I prefer that. And then later on, he says, um, "Thank you for sh- thank you for our physical relationship, for sharing your female being with me, for making the bodily part of our life so satisfying and exciting." Mm, like that bodily part, oh, so hot, <laughs> so sexy. Thank you for sh- sharing your female form, <laughs> like. You're still talking to your wife. Yeah. You can say thank you for that ass. Like, <laughs> like thanks for that time you put your finger up my butt. Like I really liked that. <laughs> I, I made a note in my book about that. Like <laughs> that idea just cracked me up. But like you can be more specific. He's acting like there's people watching them. <laughs> okay. Next up for Lady <laughs> I just want to say. So at one point when Chris is with Leona, like the normal Leona, not his daughter in the book, they go to this city and she's like, oh, yeah, you can like watch plays and all this stuff. And he's like, oh, my gosh, because like Albert mentioned like a line from a play that I know he was dead when it came out. So he couldn't have seen it. And she was like, oh, yeah, you can like see all the plays up here. Of course, all like the good ones, like nothing that's inappropriate or like sordid. And I was like, um... So is there censorship in heaven? Because can you not see a play that's like sexy or yeah. bad? Like what is what determines what's sordid? Like, I don't understand. That's a really he was curating yeah. the content that's censorship Ian. I mm, Heavenly censorship. <laughs> that's a really good point. I kind of glossed over that, but that's a really good point. Like, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. yeah. We have to protect our people from in Summerland. <laughs> Uh, last up for lightning, there was, um, so there was a really good, interesting part in the film when they're in hell and Chris is like walking across like a field of faces, Yeah, which was such a good visual. Like it was really great. And like, some of them are like moaning. Some of them are like, uh, one woman is like, I never took more than 30%. And, uh, Chris or Robin Williams is like, yeah, this is the place. But there's a moment where he's like walking over this old man and he's like, son, son. And and, and Robin Williams is like, Papa. And like there's this kind of this weird moment that is like, it's funny. Yeah. But very almost out of place. Yeah. But it ends with like Robin Williams realizing like it's not his dad. He's like, you're not my dad. And he's like, sorry, I got it. And he leaves. And the guy is like, the old man is like, oh, it's OK. They they never come anyway. <laughs> talking about children (laughs) and you know once again like funny but kind of out of place yeah um but that old man is Werner Herzog who is a very famous director for anyone who has watched he's also an actor too but for anyone who's watched the Mandalorian Mm. he's like the old man who's like the crime lord who's like bring me the child (laughs) bring me the baby uh that's Werner Herzog yeah, because I, w- I was when we were watching the credits of the film, his name came up and I'm like, whoa, what? Who was he? And it just said face. <laughs> I was like, face. 
like, who the fuck is that? And then you were the one who realized, yeah. like, oh, the guy in the dirt. <laughs> the guy that he, like, steps on. <laughs> yeah. But funny moment, but even more interesting casting for that part. <laughs> Uh, that's it for lightning round and that wraps up our episode thank you again to Maria for requesting this episode and just a shout out to all our patrons um, anyone who supports us on Patreon at any level as low as $1 a month gets priority scheduling so we do episodes that they request and we fit that into our schedule and try to get to those as soon as possible so if you have something you'd really like us to cover maybe consider becoming a patron yeah. and They also get access to a ton of bonus content. We just put out a bonus episode on the Cornetto trilogy. That was a really fun one. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz in the World's End, Mm -hmm. directed by Edgar Wright. Uh, Yeah, we have 30 bonus episodes uh, that you have full access to. Hot, hot content. Hot content uh, that if you become a patron. So please consider doing that. And if not, at least uh, consider giving us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. That is also extremely helpful with our analytics and becoming more visible to um, other potential listeners. And we love hearing from listeners. So please reach out to us if you haven't already over email or social media. Um, Just let us know what you think of the episodes, things that you like, things that you don't like. Do you agree with our opinions on which was better, book or film? Um, Are there things you'd like to see in the future? Uh, Please engage with us because we love, love hearing from you. Yeah. And that's it for this episode. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.